Um, it's good to see everybody today. I'm glad that you're here. It's a great Sunday to worship Jesus. Amen. It's good to be in his house. I feel uh, God's presence already in the room. We're going to get into the message. You know, last week we, we kicked something off. We kicked off a new series called Life, Money, Hope. And this series is really about kind of doing money, doing finances God's way, but it's so much bigger than that. It's really, it's really about doing life God's way. Uh, and when we do life God's way, we've got hope instead of anxiety and all that other stuff. Uh, statistically, uh, money issues and money problems cause more anxiety than anything else. And so, um, so we don't have to live our lives that way. We can live with hope. We can live with peace uh, because we're doing it God's way. And uh, so last week we kicked off the series and we talked about the numbers. And we laid out all of the numbers that we need to track to make sure that our finances are, are healthy and we're doing well with that. And uh, this week what I want to do is I want to go beyond the numbers and I want to talk about the heart of the matter when it comes to how we manage our money and the things that God has entrusted to us. I want to go beyond the numbers today. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to dive into your word, to get into the scripture, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray, Father, that you would make your word clear to us. Lord, that you would speak to us individuals, Lord. Speak to us where we are. Speak to our hearts, God. Show us what you want for our lives, your plans for us, Lord. We know they're good. And we give you praise for what you're going to do today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, just to recap quickly, there were five numbers that we looked at last week uh, that we said we need to be able to track in order to manage our finances. And the first one is earnings, right? It's what's coming in. The second one is spending. That's what's going out. Then the third number we talked about was savings. And that's, you know, what we've set aside so that we can handle life when it happens, so that we can handle emergencies when they come up, things like that. And then there's investing on top of that. That's what's being set aside and working for us, working for our future. And then the fifth number was giving, what we're giving to God, what we're giving to, uh, to other people, to other causes, what we're giving away. And also gave you a plan of action that were connected to those five numbers. And I gave you, I gave you four action steps uh, that we all need to take. Every single one of us need to do these on some level at some point. In our lives, we need to start a budget. We need to start an emergency uh, savings fund if we don't already have that in place. We need to start paying off our debt because God has not called us to live in debt. I, I, I told you about this last week. I'm just going to say it again. Debt is bondage. And so when we live our lives like everybody else and we just keep adding to the credit card, we just keep adding to debt, that's not God's will for us according to his word. So we need to start paying off that debt. We need to get out of debt as soon as possible. And then we need to start giving because God loves a cheerful giver. It's in his word. Those are the numbers and the numbers are important. Those numbers tell a story. They paint a picture of our financial reality. And it's important to see those things accurately. And I want to be really clear because where we're going today, it might make it sound like the numbers don't matter and the numbers aren't important, but the numbers are absolutely important. It's important for every single one of us to track these numbers on a very regular basis and create a plan that's going to get us into a healthy place financially and stick to that plan. How many have you, you've started a plan and it lasts for a little while and then you stop doing it? 
it's like a diet, right? You, you do it for a little while, and then you're like, oh, I'm over this. I want some pizza. Come on. Come on. That's how we do it. But it's important when it comes to our finances, not just to say, okay, this is a good, solid plan, but to stay on that plan and, and actually walk it out. All of that is part of doing money God's way. It's all scriptural. Every one of those numbers I showed you in the scripture where the Bible talks about it. It's all scriptural. It's all important. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than just the numbers. And what I want to do in the message today is I want to take us beyond the numbers, and I really want to start a conversation around the heart of the matter when it comes to our finances. Jesus said something really interesting in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 34. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What was Jesus saying there? He was saying, ultimately, money and the way we manage our money, and again, it's bigger than just money, it's also life, the way we manage our life. Ultimately, it's a matter of the heart. And then when it comes to our money, everything from how you earn it to how you spend it to what you save it for to what you invest in to where you give it and for what purpose you give it, all of that, all of those numbers actually reveal the condition or the posture of your heart. And you know, God is not after your money. God is after your heart. That's what he's focused on. The numbers reveal more than just a financial reality. They also reveal a heart posture. So if we're going to fully understand how to do finances and how to manage money God's way, I think we've got to try and see it from his perspective because God's not looking at the numbers like you do. God's actually looking at your heart. So let me ask you today, what does God see when he looks at your heart in regard to how you're handling your life and how you're handling your finances? What does God see? And what does it look like when the money is not really the issue in your financial picture, but your heart is the issue? God actually addressed that very thing in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. This is what the scripture says. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. And in the Hebrew, that wording is really important because where he says, give careful thought to, that literally translates in the Hebrew to set your heart upon. Set your heart upon. He goes on. He says, you've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says it again. Give careful thought to your ways. So watch this. According to this scripture, the money is not the issue. Look at it. He says, look, you, you, you have seed to plant. You've got food to eat. You've got water to drink. You've got clothes to wear. You've got wages coming in. There's nothing wrong with their earnings. The problem that they're having goes beyond the numbers. And God spells it out, spells it out for them. Because their ways or the way they're doing things, the way they're going about things, it's revealing a motive of the heart that God is looking at. And because they have a heart issue and not a money issue, they've got plenty of seed to plant, but they're seeing little harvest. They've got plenty of food to eat, but they stay hungry. Plenty of water, but they're still thirsty. Good clothes. Hey, I've got name brand stuff, but I'm still cold. They have a good job, but they're still living paycheck to paycheck. 
How does that happen? It happens because there's a heart issue that goes beyond the numbers. And God tells them, he says, you've got a purse with holes in it. Does that resonate with anybody? It's like, where's all my money going? Come on, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, fellas. It's like, where did the money go? It's just gone. And I literally, one time I picked up my wife's purse. I was like, you got a hole in this? Like, what's going on with the money? It's disappearing. Where did all the money go? See, the problem is not in the numbers. The problem goes beyond the numbers. And God reveals that by saying this to them twice. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it in your heart. Think about the motive behind what you do. The problem is not in the numbers, it's in your heart. And see, conventional wisdom says, look at the numbers and that's it. But godly wisdom says, let's go a little further because the real issue when it comes to your finances may not be in the numbers, it may be deeper than that. And so today I wanna give you five ways that we can go beyond the numbers in order to think about our finances the way that God thinks about them. I wanna give you five areas that you need to give careful thought to when it comes to your money and planning for your financial future. Five ways to go beyond the numbers. Here's the first one. We need to think about calling over compensation. Calling over compensation. The first number that we talked about last week was this number earnings. And there's a lot of people that have built their life around that number. They've made that number earnings in what they're bringing in, income, the most important thing in their world. That's what they think about more than anything else. How much money can I make? They choose a career path based primarily on that number. They decide where to live, in some cases who to marry, when to start a family based on that number. They may jump from thing to thing to thing to thing and job to job to job to job, all based on this one number. They want to know how much will I get paid, and that is the determining factor of their life. And, when, and, and the wisdom of the world would say this is a number you should be chasing. Yeah, chase it down. Do whatever you got to do. Work ungodly hours if you have to to earn more. Work two jobs if you have to. Move across the country if you have to. Climb that ladder as high and as fast as you can. And while you're at it, pull down as many people who are above you and kick as many people who are below you down as you can. Because at the end of the day, nothing matters more than you being in position to earn more. Whatever it takes, you do what you have to do to earn more money. A lot of people live their lives that way. And, and just to be clear, listen, there is nothing wrong with making money. That is a good thing. And there's certainly nothing wrong with working hard. That is a good biblical value. The Bible actually says if someone refuses to work, they shouldn't get to eat, which is, you know, it's true. It's kind of scary, but it's true. Got to get a job. Some of you, you're thinking about your, your teenagers right now. You're like, hey, yeah, let me, let's think about this for a minute. It's a good thing. But if you're going to do this God's way, you've got to understand that there is a higher principle at work in your life than just compensation. And the higher principle is calling. What has God called you to do? You've got to prioritize calling over compensation because that's what God prioritizes for you. And remember, it's God's way that works. That's why he said, give careful thought to your way. Your way is not matching and lining up with God's way, what God wants for your life. So so you've got to think about it from his perspective, doing things his way. And here's some truth for you. At the end of the day, how much money you make is not going to fulfill you or make you happy. 
What's going to fulfill you is that you found your purpose in life, that you found your reason for living, and you chase that with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and not a higher payday, even if it means taking less than what you know you could have made at that other place. There is nothing like doing what God has called you to do. I'm just telling you, there's nothing like it in the whole world, nothing more fulfilling than you walking in your calling and your destiny. There's nothing like it. And now, sometimes these two things line up, and we get compensated for living out our calling. And it's nice when that happens. That, that's how it is for my brother Philip. He, uh, he, he, he's living that kind of life. I, and I have a lot of respect for him because he pursued God's calling for his life with everything in him. And, and because he's he pursued God's calling, he's living in it. He works in the field of his calling. He's doing what he's called to do, and he gets paid to do it. When my brother was seven years old, he was actually diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And uh, as just a little fellow, you know, he started complaining about um, vision issues and headaches that he was having. And so they took him to the doctor, and they ran some tests. And uh, they, they found, through a series of tests, they found a tumor was growing behind his left eye. And the tumor was, was cancerous. It was aggressive. It was growing rapidly. And they knew, like, we've got to do something fast. And, um, you know, that news changed our family in a major way. I was about two years older than my brother at the time. Or well, still am, but, you know. <laughs> I was nine years old. And um, I remember those conversations. I remember what this, that was like because... What the next two years looked like was my brother being gone for most of the time with my mom at a hospital two hours away from where we lived. And my dad, who was pastoring a church at the time, was home with me and my sister. And I'm just going to tell you, my older sister, like taking care of her by yourself, that is a real chore because she's crazy. She's, she was wild. She's calmed down a little bit in life. That's good. But it was a challenging time for our family. And I have to give God praise when I talk about this because the truth is God healed my brother. He, he went through almost two years of chemotherapy. And, uh, you know, it kept him very sick. And some of you know about that because you've gone through it or you've seen people that you love go through it. He went through two years of chemotherapy treatments, two years of radiation treatments. He went through so much. And yet with all of that, the, the, the growth of the tumor was not slowing down. It was getting bigger rapidly. In fact, it was starting to threaten to push through the wall of his brain. And they were kind of at this place where it just seemed hopeless. And at that moment where it would kind of just felt like, well, there's really nothing else we can do. Uh, I remember my dad talking about um, how he went into the restroom of the hospital because he didn't want anybody to see him cry. And he fell on his knees in the restroom and begged God to heal him. And it was like the next day, they ran some tests and they said, it's shrinking suddenly. It's going down. And I'm telling you, in just like a matter of three months, that tumor was gone and out of his body. We serve a God who does miracles. Come on. He's still a miracle working God. Amen. I love it. But those years of being cared for, by incredible nurses and incredible doctors and incredible medical and support staff. They made a huge impact on my brother's life. And he knew by the time he was eight years old what he wanted to do with his life. And what he wanted to do with his life was be there for people the way that those people had been there for him. 
And so he gave his life to this, and he went after it with everything in him. He went through all those years of school, all of that so that he could work in the miracle field, uh, in, in, the, in the medical field. It is a miracle field, but in the medical field. And I love how God does this because he creates a calling out of a crisis. And see, that's what God does. That's part of his nature. He's a redeemer. So when he does something in your life, there's a reason he does it for you. He wants you to then use it. It's part of your calling. It's part of your story. It's part of the way you can now make a difference for others. And my brother figured that out at a very early age, that what the devil meant for evil, God is going to turn this around, and he's going to use it for somebody's good somewhere. Amen. He gave his life to it. And so now my brother's working in the area of his calling. I have no doubt that he is doing what he's called to do, and he gets paid for it. And it's awesome when it works out that way. But that's not the case for all of us, and it's not necessarily supposed to be. For some of us, our compensation is disconnected from our calling. And what we do, our job, while it has really nothing to do with our calling per se, it actually sustains us and it gives us the money, the income that we need so that we can fulfill God's calling on our lives, whatever that might be. The two may not be related, and that's okay. You're not missing anything there. God is using the one thing to support the other. And many of you, that's true. That's, how, that's, that's true for you. You work Monday through Friday, but then you're able to fulfill your life calling and what God has called you to do in other ways. For a lot of you, it's what you do every Sunday here at Life Chapel. You've joined a serve team. You're doing what God has called you to do. You're making a difference with your lives each and every week. In that, you are fulfilling your calling. You're not paid to do what you do here, but you understand and you realize that there is a higher principle at play than just compensation, and that higher principle is calling. What has God called you to do with your life? That's more important than what you're getting paid for. I heard someone say this recently, and I liked it, so I thought I would pass it on to you. But it's, we don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. If the only thing you're living for is your paycheck, there's no way you're happy. There's no way you're fulfilled. There's no way you feel like you're living in your purpose and calling. you got to have something more. There's a passion within you. You know who put that passion within you? God did. And there's a reason it's in you. That's your calling. Go after that. Go after that with everything in you. I urge you today as your pastor, don't put yourself in position to simply chase after compensation for the rest of your life. Rather, chase after your calling. Chase after what really matters because that's what's going to lead to true happiness and real fulfillment. You'll never be happy until you start living out your purpose on the earth. And listen, if you don't know what your purpose and calling is, we'd love to help you figure that out. That's one of the reasons we exist as a church. We're here to help you discover what you're called to do, what your purpose actually is. We help you come to know God. We help you find freedom. But we don't stop there. We want to go deeper. We want to help you discover your purpose, what God wants to do with your life. Because when you discover your purpose, that's when life begins to make sense for you. That's when you start to make a difference for others. And listen, that's what life is really all about. It's making a difference for somebody else. And if you need help in that area, discovering your calling and purpose, I want to encourage you to make sure that you join us for our next growth track, which is happening next month. It's the third Sunday night of every month. So May 21st, we're going to meet here at the church at 5 o'clock, and we're going to start a conversation around helping you discover what God has put you on this planet for and how you can begin to walk in your purpose and calling and experience what I call the sweet spot of living. 
That's what you are. That's what you find when you start walking in your purpose. It's the sweet spot. And you know that anything else is, is, isn't the sweet spot. You know, it's like it, it, a baseball analogy. It's like, it, you guys don't like baseball. You don't even know what I'm talking about. I should just, when, you, when you hit the ball in the sweet spot, you don't even feel the bat hit the ball. It's, it's just, it's almost like it's effortless, and the ball just goes, and, you know, it's a great thing. But when, when you're up there hacking at everything you see, you're just striking out because you're swinging at all the curveballs, and you can't hit a curveball. But you want to wait for that fastball, what you were put on the earth to do, and when you see it, you hit it with everything you've got. That's living in the sweet spot. But you got to go beyond the numbers to get there. you got to think about it this way. It's calling over compensation. And I'm just going to tell you, very rarely does someone who's chasing compensation as the number one priority of their life ever find their true calling from God. It's why the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus sad, the Bible says, instead of following him when he had the opportunity to do it. He was sad because he chose to chase the wrong thing. There was something better that God had for him, but he missed it because he was prioritizing the wrong thing. Paul understood this principle as well. In Philippians chapter 3, if you read it, he lists out all of his accomplishments, all the things that he gained while he was chasing down the wrong things in life. He was very successful in his field. He, was, he, was, he had built quite a career for himself. You can read about it. He, he made a big name for himself. Everybody knew who he was. But after he experienced all of that, He had an encounter with Jesus, and in that encounter, he discovered what his true calling and purpose was because Jesus literally told him what he wanted him to do with his life. And look at what he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. After he discovered his calling, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Watch this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. All that money, all that notoriety, all that fame. At the end of the day, Paul looked at it and said, yeah, all that's garbage. I threw those trophies away years ago. It doesn't matter when I compare it to Christ. What is Paul saying to you? For him, it's calling over compensation 100%, and it's not even close. This is what I'm telling you today. Chase what really matters. Chase the thing that's really going to make you happy. And then trust God with your compensation, because that will come too. See, he knows what you need. And in his word, it says that if he knows how to, if he knows how to feed the birds of the air, he knows how to take care of you. And see, God takes delight in bringing good things to his children, good jobs, good pay, all of that. He delights in doing that, and he will do it for you if you'll let him. You don't have to chase it down and do it yourself. You can just trust him. This is beyond the numbers, but this is where we need to go if we're really going to do this thing God's way, because what God is really after is your heart. Let me give you another one. If we're going to go beyond the numbers and we're going to get to the heart of the matter, we have to think about contentment over consumerism. Contentment over consumerism. See, when we look at the numbers only, after we talk about earnings, we talked about spending. And that's an important number to track. Because as we talked about last week, not paying attention to that number is where most of us get ourselves into financial trouble. For most of us, we don't have an earnings problem. We've got a spending problem. We're spending more than what we've got coming in. 
But doing money and finances God's way is so much more than just the numbers. It's more than just being smart with your money and using common sense and living on a budget and exerting self-control when it comes to spending and buying. There's a higher principle involved here, and it's the principle of contentment. And, And listen, when we really understand this principle of contentment, This principle has the power to change our lives. It really does. Because living with contentment is God's way. It's straight out of his word. And it's hard to live that way because that way, God's way, is completely contrary to the way of the world, which is constantly to consume more and more and more and more. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you noticed that? We live in a society... That has conditioned us to constantly want more. There was a Dr. Pepper commercial that came out years ago. And in the commercial, it had the, the band Queen singing this song. And it was, I want it all. You guys know that one? I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Right? And that's how a lot of us live our lives. I want it now. I know what I want. I want it now. And so you get your credit card out and you pay for it now. The problem is you don't have the money to pay for it now, so now you're in debt. Now you're in bondage to it. And it wasn't always this way. When I think of contentment, you know who I think about? I think about my grandmother. They had an awesome house out on a farm in the middle of South Georgia where it was way too hot to live, but that's okay. And they had a garden, and they... It was just amazing the way they lived their life. And I've got this picture that I took of my grandmother about a year before she passed away. And she was just sitting in her living room, looking out the window, drinking a glass of sweet tea. <laughs> she was a genuine Southern woman. And she's just looking out that window. And I, she didn't even know I took the picture. I just pulled up my phone and took a picture of her. And I thought, that is the picture of contentment. She's got a family she's proud of. She's got everything she needs all around her. She's not out there striving for more and more and more and more. She's content. And I thought to myself, God, that's living. That's really living right there. Just sipping on that glass of sweet tea. That's like nectar from heaven. Y'all don't even know. (laughs) But somewhere along the way, we got ourselves where we are now as a society because somewhere along the way, we forgot about this value. And that's what it is. It's a value of living with contentment. People in our world, they hate that word contentment. They hate that way of life because it means that I don't get to have whatever I want and I don't get to have it right now. But I'm telling you, that's where real peace is. Peace is not in pursuing more and more and more. You find real peace when you become okay with what you have and only going out and getting what you really need when you really need it. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And see, that right there, that's the problem. It's not a numbers problem. It goes beyond the numbers. Greed is not a number. Greed is a posture of the heart. So Jesus is showing you. The problem is in your heart. It's not in the numbers. It's in your heart. I got to have it. I got to have it now. I got to have it my way. We're all living our lives like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. What happened to her? It wasn't good. Watch the movie. I'm just telling you. Jesus goes on in this verse. He said, stay away from greed. He said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And the wisdom of the world would disagree with Jesus on that point. They would say, the more you have, the better life you're going to have, the happier you're going to be. And that's just not true. Some of you might disagree with Jesus on that point. 
And I'm, I wouldn't recommend that, you know, I mean, because he's God. Uh, you, you have a right to be wrong if you want to. But Jesus said, your life is more than just all the possessions that you can accumulate. It's more than all that stuff. All that stuff is not going to make you happy. And people, we, we grab all of this stuff. We build up all of this stuff. We've got a backyard full of stuff. And the world wants you to believe that those are the most fulfilled people in the world, and it's just not true. It doesn't take a genius to look and see that that's not happiness. That's not fulfillment. That, those people are not really at peace in their life, most of them. The happiest people in the world are the ones that are happy with what they have. They're content. In fact, get this. The definition of the word content is this. It's living in a state of peaceful happiness. It does not get more clear than that. Paul understood this biblical principle too. This is what he said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. What was Paul saying? He said, man, I figured out the secret to a happy life. And this secret to a happy life, it goes beyond the numbers. It gets into the heart. It's a principle that supersedes every situation, no matter where you find yourself, with plenty or with lack. The secret is contentment. And listen, contentment is a choice. It totally depends on us. Contentment is not created by outward circumstances. Contentment is created by a choice that you make inwardly in your heart. And it's hard in our culture. But you know how you get there? You know how you get to the place where you're content no matter what? You realize that you are blessed no matter what. That's how you get to the place of contentment. You realize that you are blessed. If you never make another dime, if you lose everything tomorrow, you're still blessed by a God who loves you and literally gave his whole world for you in Christ Jesus. I've got another quote for you to help you understand this principle of contentment. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want but the realization of what you already have. That's when we get to contentment. We realize what we already have. And when you realize what you already have, you realize you're already blessed. Let me show you one more thing before we leave this point. Because I, I want you to understand there's something that fuels this consumerism culture that we live in today. And what fuels that is what Jesus showed us in the scripture. It's greed. There's a big biblical word that you could put there as well, and it's this word covetousness. You know what that is? It's wanting what everybody else has. Because you think you deserve it, they have it, I deserve it too, or they have it, I, I think it's owed to me, they have it, I want. I remember when the iPhone first came out, and I was walking around with a flip phone, and everybody's like, why don't you have an iPhone? And I was like, because I'm a poor college student and I can't afford it. I was like, my parents don't buy me everything. I have to work for it myself. I got an iPhone as soon as I could. But then there were a couple of young college students in our church, and they were having financial difficulty. And um, they were, you know, they wanted, they wanted the church to help them financially. And the pastor was like, I tell you what, we're going to do. We're really going to help you. I'm going to have you sit down with Pastor Brian, and he's going to go over a financial plan with you. And so they came in, and the first thing I saw was like, hey, can you put your iPhone down for a second, 18-year-old kid? <laughs> you know? I was like, you know, they give phones out for free. Um, I know they're not iPhones. But anyway, listen, it's, they, just, they looked around and saw everybody else has one. I, I think I deserve it too. That's covetousness. That's what that is. 
And, you know, we do this where, where we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses are, but I feel like their name has been just raked through the mud because everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? And that's how we live our life. We look around and we say, well, they got it. I should get it. They have one. I need, I need one. You know, what is that? That's fueling this consumerism. What is it? It's, it's comparison. And listen, comparison is a trap that the enemy sets. It fuels consumerism. They bought a house, so I need to buy a bigger one. They bought a boat, so I need a bigger one. By the way, listen, we live in Colorado. There's not a lot of water here. And if you've got a big old boat in your backyard, I'm just telling you, that, it, that was a bad investment, okay? Somebody needs to tell you. Sell that thing as soon as you can. You know, they bought a new car, and you think, I got, I got to get a new car. I got to get one that's faster and nicer and newer than all of that. You know, what fuels consumerism is comparison, and comparison's from the devil. It's a trap. But on the other hand, what fuels contentment is gratitude. And again, gratitude is a posture of the heart. It's a choice you can make. And if you'll start expressing gratitude to God, not for what you don't have and you think you need, but for what you already have, what you'll experience is, is it will kill that spirit of greed in your life. It will kill that spirit of comparison. It will break you out of the bondage of this spending and trying to keep up with everybody else in this consumerism mindset. That's what God wants for you, but you've got to go beyond the numbers to get there. You've got to really dig into your heart and say, okay, God, what's there? What's fueling my lifestyle? What's fueling my decisions? What's fueling my choices here? Let me give you another one. If, you're go, if we're going beyond the numbers and we're getting to the heart of the matter, we've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about being God-dependent instead of independent. We've got to be God-dependent over independent. See, there's a danger to looking at the numbers only. And I told you last week, if, if all you got out of this whole series was the, was the numbers, it would help you, and it will. But, but if that's all you're looking at, if, if all you're looking at is the numbers, especially if those numbers you're looking at paint a really nice financial picture for you, if you're not careful, this will be the case. We can become too dependent on what we see in the numbers, and then we fall for the lie that a good financial picture is all we need to be successful and secure in life. We believe this lie that says, as long as I have a good paying job and I'm not spending more than I'm earning and I have a large amount in savings and I've made good investments, that is all I need. I'm secure and I'm going to be successful in life. See, if we're not careful, we'll start to place our sense of success and security in what we've achieved and been able to build for ourselves instead of in God who made it all possible for you anyway. And see, as Christ followers, we realize that our security is in Christ alone. We're not secure because we have a nice salary and a strong 401k. We're secure because Christ is our firm foundation and all else is sinking sand. That includes your money. You can't put your hope in the things of this world. You can't put your hope in the wealth that you've built up. It can be gone like that. Especially, oh, I shouldn't say it. Uh, especially with the way things are going now in our country. Come on, do you, are, you, are you really hopeful about your 401k? I sat down with a financial advisor a few months ago, and I was like, hey, man, tell me for real. Like, what's going to happen with Social Security? He's like, oh, it's good. It's guaranteed. I was like, they've spent it all. Like, where's it going to come from? By the time I get there, there ain't going to be no money left. Come on, y'all. You can't put your hope in that. We've got to put our hope in something that's real. What's real is God. His word says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is a firm foundation. That's what we've got to put our hope in. 
All the rest of it is false hope. It's a false sense of security. The Bible actually speaks to this danger that we're talking about in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11. Look what the Bible says. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall to hide a scale. In other words, they imagine their money or their wealth is a wall that no problem can penetrate. They feel secure by their financial picture. But the problem is, and the key word is imagine. They're just imagining this. It's not real because money in and of itself cannot make you secure. What we need to be secure is to have God in our life, to have God on our side. He is our fortified city. The Bible says that he is a strong tower that the righteous can run into and find refuge. We need to live a life of trust in God and not trust in our dollars. Don't ever get to the place where you feel like you've arrived and you don't need God anymore. Independent. I can do this myself. I can take care of me. You know what that is? The last one we talked about, that's a picture of greed. This is a picture of pride. And this is a principle I hope you hold on to for the rest of your life. Pride comes before the fall. You can mark it. If you're living with pride in your life, it's just a matter of time before you fall. It's coming. We want to be God-dependent, not independent There's nothing wrong with doing things the right way by the numbers. There's wisdom in that, but you throw wisdom out the window the moment you think, I can replace God in my life. I don't need him. I've got what I need right here with this wad of cash. In fact, look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. He was teaching the disciples how to pray. This is what he said. Hey, when you pray, pray like this every day. He said, give us today our daily bread. What is that? That is a God-dependent prayer. I need bread today. I'm, I'm looking to you today, God. My trust is in you. You know what I need, and I'm trusting you to be my provider today. My security is not, what, is not in what I've accumulated and built for myself. My security is in the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who is my provider. And there's fresh manna. There's fresh blessing from heaven every day that I'm walking with Jesus. That's where my security is. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. I love this verse. It says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is a principle that goes beyond the numbers. It gets to the heart. Where's your trust, really? Are you trusting in your money? Are you trusting in that good job you have? That's a heart issue. God wants to help you go deeper than that. If we're talking about doing it God's way, we've got to go beyond the numbers. We've got to get to the heart of it. And if we're going to do that, we have to understand this next one. We have to understand it's stewardship over ownership. Stewardship over ownership. And see, the Bible talks a lot about this principle of stewardship. And we're going to get more into that as we get into the series. So I'm not going to go too far into this today. But you've got to understand, just on a basic level, if you're going to do your finances and your money God's way, that you are a steward and not the owner. So here's what that means if you've never really understood that concept. That means that God is the owner of it all. What you have, everything you have, actually belongs to him. And you have it because he has entrusted it to you. He's given it to you. Not so that you can spend it however you want, but so that you can steward in a way that honors him and brings more glory to his name. See, an owner spends their money on what they want or desire. A steward spends what they have based on the wishes or desires of the owner that they're working for. You see the difference there? A steward manages what somebody else owns based on their priorities, not his own. 
And one of the greatest scriptural principles you could ever learn in your life is this principle of stewardship because, again, it goes far beyond our money. Stewardship literally touches every area of our life. It touches every moment of how we spend our life because the Bible tells us that even our breath is a gift from God. It all belongs to him. And he expects us to steward what he has entrusted to us wisely and according to his word and not just throw it away. When we talk about stewardship, we like to talk about three areas. It's time, talent, and treasure. You can be a good steward by how you spend your time. You're being a good steward right now by choosing to spend your time in the house of God. That's a good stewardship idea. You can be a good steward by how you spend your talent, the gifts God has given you. You can use them for him, his glory, to help others, or you can hoard it all for yourself. It's how you're stewarding it. And then your treasure. What are you doing with it? God has entrusted all of this wealth to you. He said, I own it. I'm going to put it in your hands. Now let me see what you're going to do with it. You've got an opportunity here. I can manage God's wealth his way, or I can hoard it all for myself. I can do whatever I want with it because I think I own it. That's not the way it works. Jesus talked about stewarding wisely so much in the Gospels. And he said, you know, to the one who proves faithful with the little bit I give him, I'm going to entrust them with more to steward. See, that's how God's economy works. His blessings follow people who have the right heart when it comes to stewardship over ownership. Jesus told this parable in Matthew chapter 13 to demonstrate this principle of stewardship. And in verse 44, this is what he said. I love this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had in order to buy that field. What was Jesus saying in that parable? He was saying, when you realize that you have found the one thing in your life that really matters, when you found God, then you'll look to make sure that All the rest of your life is working for and working towards that one thing that really matters more than anything else. You're thinking about, okay, I found God. God is in my life. So now how can I leverage every part of my life for this treasure towards this part of my life? How can I give everything that I have to this thing that really matters for the one thing that really matters? That's stewardship. Stewardship is going all in on God because you realize what you found. He's not just a part of your life. He's all of it. He's everything. And it's a game changer for your life and for your finances when you realize this. It truly is a principle that will change everything else for you. And we're going to talk about that more later on. But let me give you one more principle today. If we're talking about going beyond the numbers and getting to the heart of the matter, then we've got to talk about generosity. Because being a generous person, listen, it's not really about the money. And you know that's true. It's really about your heart, isn't it? That's really what it comes down to. It's generosity over misery. The last number we talked about last week was the giving number. And giving is important. And I think most people recognize that on some level. They recognize that their money should not just be spent on themselves only. At least some of it should be given away. Most people understand that. They get that. It's part of our DNA as as humans. It's hard to to, to just look past somebody who has a need and be like, you know what, I don't care because I got it and you don't and whatever. Like, good luck, buddy. You know? And the thing about it is, is most financial planners, they really don't even talk about this giving number. And if they do, they kind of teach it like this. They say, well, after you've budgeted everything else out, all of your payments that you've got to make and your groceries and all your subscription TV services, make sure you get them all in there in your budget. Don't, don't leave anything out. After you've budgeted all 
And after you've saved a certain percentage and after you've invested another percentage, after you've done all of that, if you have anything left over, you might want to think about giving. If you have anything left over after you've given and done everything else, you've spent everything else, if you've got anything left over, you should consider giving something away. That's how most financial planners teach that, giving number. And this is how most Americans do it. The average American statistically, gives just under 3% of their annual income away. So the way we look at this is it's kind of like, well, whatever's left over, when, when I've dealt with all the numbers, all the other numbers that really matter to me, and everything's been accounted for, whatever's left over, that, you know, then I'll think about giving it away, whatever's left. But see, I think there's a higher principle than that when it comes to giving. In fact, I know there is because it's in God's Word. And what God's Word teaches is if God is first in your life, he will show up first in your finances. That's what God's word says. It's not, I'll give whatever I might have left over at the end of the month. It's, I'm going to give God the first fruits of my life because he's first in my life. He gets the first portion of my increase because he's the one who's blessed me with it anyway. He gets the first 10% of my income because when I give it to him, the Bible says that's worship. It's worship. See, when we put God first and we honor him according to his word, what we believe is what the Bible teaches, and that is that the rest is blessed. You're not losing anything. You're giving God the first, and then the rest has his blessing on it. The rest of our budget has his favor on it. The rest is going to go further for me because God is bringing more increase to a steward he knows he can trust with his stuff. And see, generosity, especially when it comes to giving to God, is not a matter of money, it's a matter of the heart. Look at it, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. That's what the Bible says. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Look at verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided where? In your heart, not in your budget, not based on what you see in the numbers. You should give based on your heart what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the reason that I have generosity compared with misery up here is because the opposite of a generous person is a miser. That's what it is. Generous people are the happiest people on the planet. At the same time, the most miserable people are the ones who hoard everything for themselves. The most annoying sound in the world is the child screaming, mine, because they don't want to share. And that's how a lot of us live our lives. In fact, Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. He said this to the church. He said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's such an incredible promise. Here's one more quote for you to understand this. The value of my life isn't determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but by how much of my life I can give away. That's the truth. That's the Bible. That's the gospel. Generosity is about making an impact. It's about leaving a legacy Peter told somebody in the book of Acts, he said, your money can perish with you, and that's what happens. You don't take that with you. But according to the scripture, you can lay it up ahead. You can send it on ahead by sowing it in the right way, by giving it. 
where God would have you to give it. Come on, stand with me all across the room. Amen.